Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Making Monsters with Taylor Dahl. It's like beer and brats. A perfect combination. You know the deal. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another Making Monsters. We are continuing on this series that you know I've talked about. Breaks my heart a little bit because I am pro-Justin Fields, and I am now trying to skew my opinion a little bit or learn some more things and adjust to uh, the fact that we may be losing him soon to another quarterback in the draft. But uh, we are continuing this week and we are going to talk about Caleb Williams, uh, who is the consensus number one, I would say, for the most part, for a lot of people. There are some talks of Drake May being just behind that, which we did Drake May last week. So Let's get into Caleb Williams, and I think no better person to talk to right now than Yogi Roth. Yogi uh, is a Pac-12 network analyst, uh, also a quarterback guy, so that's very important uh, for us when we are talking quarterbacks. So, Yogi, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Yeah, congrats on all of your success, and always an honor to to come on and and talk quarterbacks, and specifically Caleb Williams, a true one percenter. Hey, I really appreciate that, and I'm sure a lot of fans are going to love to hear that open also when it comes to this. So, Let's just get right into this. Uh, you covered several USC games when Caleb Williams uh, with Caleb Williams at quarterback. What is just your initial thought process of Caleb and what he was able to do? Let's just say actually in college football on the field, what's different about him that you saw when you were covering? Well, I go back to his time in high school, you know, okay. coming out of the DC area. I, I work with the Elite 11, which is kind of the premier high school quarterback camp in the country. Um, and you knew of Caleb Williams, you know, early on, uh, prior to even his, you know, f- you know, final season of high school football. And when he came to the Elite Eleven Finals, he won the MVP. No surprise to probably anybody, but he had this different mentality. And I think over the course of my, I want to say, seventeen years now at Elite Eleven, uh, there's a handful of quarterbacks that stand out. Uh, for your audience, Justin Fields was one of them. Yeah, Caleb was one of them. Trevor Lawrence is one of them. Jameis okay. Winston was one of them. Tua Tagovailoa was one of them. I mean, those guys to me are always just a cut above uh, the majority of players that we've been around. And a lot of it is their approach, honestly, to the craft, uh, yeah. not just in terms of how well they throw it, how well they spin it, but h- how much they seek, right? They're seeking knowledge. They're seeking insight. They're seeking uh, answers to questions they have. They have a natural curiosity. And I say that because we're, we're in an era. That's why I say Caleb is a true one percenter is that he, he's he's one of one in terms of transfer nil quarterback when college football kind of flipped upside down he became the face of it and then he won the heisman and then he went through a challenging season so i I just think that he's seen things uh, for the first time that that no other quarterback in the history of the sport will ever have to deal with for the first time Mm -hmm. and then when i got to cover him when he was at sc i've called you know numerous games i covered him at the heisman uh probably been around as much as any analyst in america and what I, th- I think what I lead with is the type of teammate that he is, honestly. Yeah. You know, when I go to practice, 
uh, from the entirety of my career, I learned this from Pete Carroll, is get there early and stay late, not just because it shows a work ethic book, because you're learning tidbits about a player. Yeah. And after every practice at USC, and, and media isn't allowed to a lot of them, he was the last guy to leave. And it wasn't because he was throwing extra routes. Like, of course mm -hmm. he was doing that. But he was playful with his teammates. He was getting to know one another. He was playing a variety of games that kids in college play. Yeah. And, and I say that because I think it's very easy to paint him into a picture of he was making a lot of money in NIL. Was he disassociated from his teammates? Like, he was a phenomenal and is a phenomenal and will be a phenomenal teammate. So that's, that's kind of what stands out. I mean, the playing, he's wizardry. You know, in terms yeah. of the things he can do, he's a true magician at quarterback. But uh, I, I go off the field a little bit initially yeah. around his mindset. Which I love that. And the whole reason I started making monsters was because of that, because I think that we get so wrapped up sometimes into the football side of things and we forget they're human beings and um, they do make mistakes. But at the same time, a lot of it, you see how much certain players affect their their team when it comes to locker room presence, when it comes to off the field things. And so that is a huge, massive part of why I started making monsters. And it's really interesting. You go straight to that because that has been kind of a thing for Bears fans. They've heard certain little rumors of, and I'm not sure where it stemmed from, of, of him not being, like his team not completely being on board with him. I think it was a comment after the game they played, the game they played without him. And one of the teammates was made some comment about things clicking and blah, blah, blah. And people took that and ran with it. But I always have heard great things about Caleb. So I like hearing that. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that Heisman Trophy season because it was phenomenal. And it was something that immediately, obviously, we're talking a ton about. And people were like, wow, Caleb Williams is going to be phenomenal. You know, when we see him in the NFL, all of these things, just some of the numbers, 4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns, five interceptions. That's numbers you like to hear. Um, completing almost 67% of his passes. So what happened that year coming from Oklahoma to USC what was his biggest improvement to make him be able to have such a massive leap that that season with USC? I, I think it's a there's so much. I mean, it's why football is the greatest team sport on planet Earth. You know, like it really does take a lot. I think you look at the resurgence of SC under Lincoln Riley with Kaylee Williams. Uh, you know, their explosive ability was was dramatically detailed on offense. Lincoln Riley is, you know, one of the greater play callers, offensive minds in, in recent college football history. So no surprise that they did what they did on offense. I, I think the defense played so well, created so many turnovers mm -hmm. that allowed them to outscore a lot of teams. Uh, I think that that year was also like kind of the perfect storm um, in terms of how the schedule was laid out. You know, in the Pac-12, uh, like every league, like you miss opponents. They didn't play yeah. Washington. They didn't play Oregon that year. So they probably had the the best version of their schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, a, it was a fan base that's been starving for the Pete Carroll type of success that they were accustomed to 20 years ago. And, and they got a taste of that with Caleb. And then I think in L.A., it's that town where, you know, you, you can catch lightning in a bottle a little bit. Uh, and and they, di they did just that. And they backed it up on the field. You know, I called numerous of their games that season. Uh, and, and Caleb showed out. And, and he really has in every game. I think the biggest area of improvement, if you want to talk about where he's grown the most, is is probably you know pretty natural for most young quarterbacks whether it's drake may or other quarterbacks you're going to talk about for the draft but that first year as a starter remember like caleb williams didn't start the entirety of his freshman year so he he came up with a lot of fanfare but he still a lot of growth yeah. right? whether it was working through progressions uh his last season his whole emphasis was playing from the pocket because we know how dynamic he can be from outside the pocket you could argue that's an element that 
course, won him the Heisman, and that is one of the strengths of his game. But he's really gone to work on the craft. I mean, he is he is a phenomenal uh, tactician, I think, when it comes to attacking the craft. You go back to his Heisman speech. I've covered the Heisman for a long time now. and Best speech I've ever heard, and, and I pulled out two things from it. One is that when he was in eighth grade, him and his dad had a real plan that they laid out and have attacked ever since. And two, in an era where players are picked apart, and, and Caleb talks often about mental health, is that he was taught at a young age to look in the mirror, as he says, quote, and like the man looking back, end quote. And, and I just think those two things in this era we're about to enter, you're already in, yeah. in terms of draft prep, combine conversations, all the things that will happen, right? People will only pick apart a yeah. future number one pick. That's exactly, sadly, how it goes. They picked apart Justin Fields. Yeah. That's sadly, exactly how it goes versus accepting that it's a position of tremendous growth and it is the only position in sport that is scrutinized on every snap and it's a position in sports that truly one needs to evolve at. I mean, I wrote the book called Five Star QB alongside a guy named Joey Roberts and we detailed over 50 five-star quarterbacks, including Caleb Williams' journey. And what's mm -hmm. cool about that book is that Caleb wrote in the book. Bo Nix wrote in the book. The quarterback contributed to yeah. that book. And and I think you get to see it a little bit from their lens. So I think it's really easy to have a an opinion on Caleb Williams. Uh -huh. And everybody has one, if not three. And often they probably contradict each other over the course of time. Uh, but he's a winner. He's a stud. Yeah. Much like, in my opinion, Justin Fields is. So we'll see what the Bears do. I don't know. Um, yeah. Where they net out. Yeah, that's why it's a it's definitely a, an interesting spot to be in because I, I mentioned I, I'm very pro Justin. I, I love Justin Fields. I love the way that he is on and off the football field. I, I've seen the progress. I think there's still things that he needs to work on, obviously. But I also think he's been surrounded by a lot of things that have held him back um, in his development process in the NFL. But it's not a bad place to be to also be looking at the number one pick and potentially looking at Caleb Williams, who people use that generational word on, which I, I, I do want to talk about. In a little bit but one of the things that i think that the twitter world right now for the bears is very it's split and i would say like 40 percent want to keep justin fields 40 percent want to draft caleb williams and the other 20 percent are just kind of like we just want a quarterback and to win football games again and for football to be fun and the offense to be consistent and com competitive for a full entirety of a season rather than seeing glimpses of that for two three four games but both it's funny to me because as i'm reading these tweets of people arguing back and forth about whether we should take caleb or keep justin one of the arguments that i see a lot is kind of the same one but on opposite sides and that's the pac-12 versus big 10. um and so when people are talking about let's say caleb supporters and who really want to draft caleb williams are very much so like well justin had all of the best things you could possibly have on his offense. He had the best, you know, a top offensive line and all of these weapons. And so, of course, he should succeed in college. And then on the opposite end, Bears, the Justin fans are kind of like, OK, well, he also played top defenses in the Big Ten. So he was going against better competition. But then you see years like this year when you mentioned some of these teams with Washington and with Oregon and with Arizona, like the Pac-12 was all over in the top 25 this year. So I don't know if they can technically use um, that as a slight anymore. But what's your opinion on that when it comes to just like the Big Ten and Pac-12 and what comes out of that and how a product could be better or worse coming out of that? Yeah, I don't think they're comparable in terms of the opponents. I mean, nine teams in the Pac-12 are ranked this year most yeah. of any conference easily the strongest year in my 20 years covering it. Uh, and I think SC's record would, would prove that it was, a, it was a challenging year for anybody. I mean, look at the team that went to the national title. They had 10 straight games where 
games were decided by 10 points or less yeah. heading into the natty. Nine of those games were in conference play. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know off the top of my head what Ohio State had to do the years that Justin Fields was there. Uh, I'll say this. Both programs where you can compare them is that like you are in the spotlight, whether you're in yeah. L.A. and Hollywood or whether you're in Columbus at the center of the, the epicenter of, you know, what has been college football, at least in that era for Justin Fields with, with Ryan Day early on in his tenure. So that's probably a comp. They both can handle the scrutiny. Uh, they both can handle what comes with being a quarterback in a major market. Uh, regarding the conference stuff, I, I think it bears no no opinion. And, and I honestly think like the Twitter opinions should bear no opinion. <laughs> I, th I think that 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 facility and, and I mean that with tremendous empathy towards social media, I'm on it just like you are. Yeah. Um, I just think it's it's important to note that it's on that building to say, OK, does Justin Fields have what he needs to be the best version of himself? Mm -hmm. to be the most confident version of himself. I, I remember talking to Mark Sanchez on my podcast about this exact thing when they brought in Tim Tebow to the Jets. And Mark said, yeah, they're all going to use him in wildcat packages, but guys, it's going to be the worst thing that could happen to me. He'll be a great teammate. We'll be boys. We'll, we're already yeah. friends, but it's not going to allow me to be the best version of me. And it, and it didn't. Yeah, You're obviously not going to both of these guys in the roster, but the point is that for Justin Fields, um, at some point, this this organization is gonna have to make a commitment to him yeah. or not and i think it's a again i got a ton of empathy for that uh the, the the people in the leadership positions there because what do you do yeah you had a top pick last year you pass we're seeing what cj stroud is doing for instance still in the playoffs yeah uh, but we also know what the reality is to your point around the bears and what's around him so do you say hey we believe in him let's keep building or do you say caleb truly is Mm -hmm. a generational talent because we said the same things about justin fields when he yeah. came up he yeah. was a generational talent too so yeah. it's it's just hard so it's, it's why we wrote the book five-star qb to quote honest with you just to give a little perspective around yeah. the position which i love that and it is it's such a complex position and there's so many things that go into it and especially when we talk about top draft picks and the reason they're top draft picks is because that team was probably pretty bad the season before and how bad they are and how long it takes to rebuild and everything that goes into that, I think, plays a factor in it. In addition to just having, we were already talking about, if Justin stays, he'll be on his third offensive coordinator in four years. And it, it that's not easy, in addition to a rotating offensive line. And I, I think that it that all those things factor into the decision that the Bears, I feel like, need to make. A couple more before I let you go, because we talked about this season. And I think some people are a little critical because of the way that Caleb was able to perform last year and winning the Heisman and everybody having, you know, the, the generational word around him. And then this year, some people feel like things fell off a little bit. But when you really, when you realistically look at it, his completion percentage went up, his yards per attempt went up, he just had less touchdowns, but um, everything else was better or on par, I feel like. Is that the sense that you got? And maybe that record makes people glare at that a little bit more? Yeah, I think anytime you see a full screen graphic on any network that says like comparing stats, um, you're, you're losing all context. Yeah. Right. Because there's some games where, you know, you, you need to run the ball more. There's some games where you don't play in the fourth quarter. There's some games where time of possession is dramatically different than what it was the previous week. Mm -hmm. I, I just say this from I've watched every single snap of his career and he came in to USC with a ton of fanfare. After year one, won the Heisman is the most outstanding football player in the country mm -hmm. and caught, you know, the ear and eyes of everyone in the sport. The next year was dramatic expectations. 
that team did not meet those expectations set by themselves and, of course, set by other people. But I do believe the Caleb Williams game improved a lot from year one to year two. I referenced playing from the pocket. Yeah. Uh, he had to do that. His offensive line, <laughs> talked about Justin Fields' offensive line, the USC offensive line was totally different than it was the previous yeah. year. Uh, and he was hit or impacted much more than he was the previous year. And then I think when you turn on the, the tape and you watch, there is one thing that I think always stands out is that USC wins. You know, if you look at some of the tight games that they won, oftentimes they didn't have necessarily the better team, but they just had the better player. I go yeah. to the Arizona game, triple overtime. I was there for that one. Yeah. And Arizona outplays USC, but Caleb Williams can't be stopped. Yeah. Right? He literally, he has done that time and time again. I called the Cal game where SC won by a point. Same deal. So I think when you watch it, it's hard not to fall in love with what he can do. Yeah. He's so special outside the pocket. He's such a strong player. He's got a great personality that'll fit into any locker room. Yes, he's got off the field interests. Name me a quarterback that doesn't. The difference is yeah. that he has them prior to entering the NFL. That should not be held against him by any stretch of the imagination. And yes, he didn't win every game this year, like expected, but he kept them in pretty yeah. much every game this year while beat up pretty good. Um, just in terms of being under pressure and under duress most of the season. Yeah. Now, Yogi, uh, uh, I think another obviously packed, uh, part of his game is being able to use his legs. And we see that a ton with Justin Fields. Justin Fields is very elite when it comes to being able to escape certain situations and extend plays with his legs. And we've seen Caleb be able to do that too. But how would you personally describe his leg use and how you think that could work or won't even be a factor in the NFL? Oh, no, it'll be a factor. I mean, okay. I don't know the latest percentage, but I want to say like 70% of completions are off-platform plays, right? Meaning you take your initial drop and then you're going to have to move one way in the okay. pocket, up or back in the pocket. Justin Fields does that at a very high level. Caleb in college did that at a level we had not seen. Uh, he's the best quarterback I've ever seen in college football. I'll just be very clear about that. How does that transition to the NFL? Wow. Well, there's a lot of factors that that impact that, right? Whether that is... What's uh -huh. his headspace like when he gets to the NFL? What's his locker room like when he gets to the NFL? What offense is he running when he gets to the NFL? I mean, you can look up and down the yeah. NFL. Again, I, I keep going back to this book of like the concept is people define so many quarterbacks as busts. But when you look into that context, they're really not, right? Like yeah. you look at the scenario, look at the situation. So I think there's been a lot to be discussed and, and uncovered to say, all right, can he maximize his potential once he gets to the league? I hope that he can. I hope he walks into the greatest, healthiest, most positive, yeah. uh, challenging environment in the history of the NFL. I hope he walks into that environment because he will he will meet that. If he doesn't, he'll elevate it. He'll challenge it. Uh, he's he's as big time as they come at this stage of the game in terms of college being over and preparing for the NFL draft. When you look at his tape, how do his as you as you ask his legs transfer? Well, it's a second reaction game. I think a lot. Do I think he's going to be running away from? defensive linemen in the NFL or outside edge rushers, probably not like he did in college, but we've seen that for a long time. Okay. And that's why I say like, he's really found a way to work from the pocket. Yeah. You, you can't argue. You, you reference his completion percentage. He's not just playing catch and throwing swing routes. He's playing quarterback. He had to drive the ball down the field, climb in the pocket, avoid defensive linemen, find tight windows. He's, he's an elite player. And, and it's going to be interesting to watch what do the Bears decide to do in terms of building around their quarterback or rebuild 
around a new quarterback. And, yeah. and I think so much goes into that. Like, where's the head coach? Where's the GM? What's the owner yeah. think? How much, uh, what's the timeline on their respective times with that organization? I know they made changes to the staff already. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't know how it'll net out, but he is, yeah. he is as elite of a prospect as, as you'll have. That doesn't always yeah. work, though, because of the environment yeah. that the quarterback goes to. Yeah. And, and I will say that he will be going to a much better place than Justin Fields did in 2021. Um, the Bears have obviously spent draft picks now on the offensive line. They got they have DJ Moore. Uh, and I think even more capital will be used on that this year. But they, so it's definitely a way better place, which I think will benefit him. Um, I know a lot of a lot of systems like to be able to have that quarterback sit a little bit. Whoever comes to Chicago isn't going to do that. They're going to be starting right away. So that'll be the interesting part of it. It's just, they're going to be the guy when they come to Chicago and it's, it's a hard place to be. Um, if you're good and fun, they love you. If not, it gets a little rough. So um, we will see how that goes, but it will, will be interesting. One last one, because I think I'm not the biggest player comp type of person because I feel like it's, everybody's different. And especially with the way that, guys now are able to train and practice and prep and the the experience they get in college now um everything just i feel like makes everybody's experience a little bit different but we hear the patrick mahomes comparison a lot is that something you would say you agree with you know i don't know i mean i think there's natural comparisons right because of recency bias mm -hmm. right we've watched Mahomes just light up the NFL. He does so many unique things. I think he's a little bit more point guardy, right? He's a little more wiry, more Steph Curry esque, if you will, uh, playing the position. Caleb reminds me a little bit of Steve Young, to be okay. honest with you, in terms of the physical nature that he plays with. Uh, he can throw the ball and hit, you know, as I referenced earlier, he can play on time, he can play on yeah. rhythm. He can play in a pro style West Coast system. He can play in, uh, you know, what, what is now, which is kind of a variety of, of every system I feel like is what we're seeing on Sundays, let alone Saturdays. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Cause he's done so many, you know, magician like things yeah. when he plays, uh, you know, he probably has a personality that's a little similar. Like he will be able to get his team going. Like we've seen all that, excuse me, with like the QB documentary series on Netflix yeah. with, with Patrick. Um, but he's, he's also a different guy. Like he sees life, uh, through a really unique lens in terms of yeah. he's got an artist mindset. He's a true creative. Uh, when you sit with him, I, I hosted a podcast with him this year. I've been around him a ton. I can't say enough good things about him. And I think it's important to note that I'd say the same thing about Drake May. I'd say the same thing about Michael Penix Jr. I'd say the same thing about Bo Nix. And we get in this world where it's just all about, you know, the embrace debate culture, especially yeah. in our medium of just screaming as loud as we can of why we take this guy, why we won't take that guy. Yeah. And I think it's okay to just acknowledge that there's a lot of talent yeah. in the world, especially at that position. And debates are full of passion and fury, and that's great, and it, it engulfs the sport. But, God, let's hope we're not continually just picking apart players versus highlighting their strengths. And then it's on the you know respective organizations to say what strengths fit them most yeah. appropriately. Yeah. Well, Yogi, we are just personally looking for a quarterback who can maybe throw 30 touchdowns because we've, <laughs> we've never had that. We've never had that. Um, so that's what we're looking at right now. But I really appreciate you hopping on. Um, I know a lot of people will love this. Uh, Caleb and Justin fans, I feel like, will love this because it will add a little excitement around the board. So thank you so much for hopping on with me. Yeah, anytime. Congrats on everything you're doing. And uh, go Bears. Let's go. Yeah, go Bears. Thank you. Have a good day.
All right, guys, now we are continuing on making monsters, talking some Caleb Williams, other possible quarterbacks that the Bears may get this offseason. It's a big question. We're joined by Trevor Sigma. He's the lead draft analyst for PFF. So, Trevor, thanks for joining me. Yeah, I appreciate it, Taylor. Appreciate you yeah, having no me. No problem. A lot of things to talk about in Chicago, Trevor. Obviously, it's it's a good place to be in, um, although Twitter's a little messy because people are fighting over whether to keep Justin or trade Justin or whoever, uh, if we're going to take Caleb, if we're going to take Drake, whatever the case may be. And I, I do want to get to some of those quarterbacks, which we're going to. But I do want to get your opinion a little bit on Justin Fields first. What are your thoughts on what you saw uh, from Justin Fields this last season? Is it enough for them to possibly keep him? Or what? what are, what's your opinion on that? I certainly think he got better. You know, I think that this was the best year of his NFL career yet. Now, I don't think that that would be enough to pass over a quarterback once again at number one overall like they did last year. I do understand it a little bit more last year. You know, you, it's kind of hard to look at what C.J. Stroud is doing for yeah. the Houston Texans and to kind of think about what maybe could have been for the Bears. But it's tough to be that revisionist and that hindsight when it comes to the NFL draft. So I certainly didn't mind what they did last year, especially for the Hall of Draft Picks plus D.J. Moore that they were able to get. I liked yeah. that move from them giving Fields another year. But now we're into a situation where – Yes, he did get better, but there's still a risk for him to become what you need him to become to be a playoff caliber, franchise caliber quarterback that can lead you to a Super Bowl. And unfortunately for Justin, it's just kind of the business end of how the NFL works. He's now coming up against the wall of, of his rookie contract. And so if it's going to be a risk to believe that Justin Fields can continue to improve to the level he needs to, to be that caliber of a quarterback. And it's also going to be a risk, no matter who you maybe pick at number one overall, you'd rather probably take the chance at number one because you get to reset that rookie contract window with a rookie contract at quarterback. And it's just, it, it's so advantageous if you can hit on that, uh, yeah. what you can do from a team building perspective. So I really do like what I saw from Justin Fields. I think that he can absolutely be a starter somewhere in the NFL next year, whether it is in Chicago or not. And, you know, like you kind of said at the very top, it's, you know, sort of a messy situation, but yeah. it's about as good of a problem as you could have, because if they end up going quarterback at number one, you trade Justin Fields for a lot more than maybe you thought you were going to prior to this season. So I think that's probably the area that they're, they're, they're going to lean toward the most when it comes to that quarterback position, even though fields improved to me, yeah still wasn't quite enough to uh, to pass over a quarterback at number one. Now, going just a little bit back to last year, were you on even the final draft, your mock drafts and stuff heading into the draft? Were you still Bryce Young number one? I was, yeah. yeah. I mean, what we saw from Bryce Young at Alabama, just the intangibles of how he processes things, how he dealt with pressure, what he did when his back was against the wall. I mean, yeah, of course, there were size concerns, measurable concerns, but mm -hmm. he played against the toughest in the SEC, and every time he took a big hit, he got right back up, and he never flinched, and he won some incredibly big games, obviously a Heisman Trophy winner because of it. Unfortunately, this situation in Carolina just feels like it was worst-case scenario for him. You know, it feels yeah. like there's a lot of different voices that are in his head of telling him kind of what to do, what you should be doing when things aren't going right, and you know, who do you listen to at that point? The offensive line's not great. The wide receivers aren't great. And so, man, it just felt like those areas where Bryce Young could have struggled, mm -hmm. they just got multiplied by 100 with the rest of the surrounding situations in Carolina. So I still do believe in Bryce, obviously, with <laughs> a lot of changes coming uh, into yeah. Carolina. I certainly hope that they're getting the right people in the building to really help him out because he is 
a very talented quarterback, especially with how he processes the game. And as long as that confidence isn't lost for good, he's somebody who you can still believe in. Well, and that's one of the things that I think a lot of people even say in Chicago is just kind of the the way that Justin Fields was thrown in that first year and then offensive line struggles and lack of weapons. And then obviously Luke Getzey just got fired. And it seems like, you know, Bryce Young kind of went through those same things. How often are you seeing that be a big problem? Because obviously these guys getting drafted one, two, three are majority of the time going to bad teams. And that's maybe another positive of this year. The Bears weren't absolutely awful. They don't have the number one pick because they were the worst team last year. They have the number one pick because of the, the Carolina trade. So, but how often are you seeing that be just a bad issue with those top three guys it being lack of weapons and lines and coaching? I think it happens all the time, right? Like you mentioned, these guys are going to franchises that are, picking at the hot to the top of the draft for a reason. It, it's not very often that the team picking at the top of the draft, I uh, just happened to be a really good team who had that bad of a year. Normally, if you are taking a quarterback that high, that means you're resetting things in a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of ways where franchises can kind of mess up that selection. You, you mentioned the supporting cast, not having the wide receiver, certainly not having the offensive line. Those things can go into play. You know, when you draft a quarterback and, Maybe they don't have the same timeline as the head coach. Sometimes that can also be dangerous, right? A quarterback, a rookie quarterback going into a situation where the coach is already on the hot seat. And that's kind of what we have in Chicago. I wondered if because of that reason, they might move on from Matt Eberflus to really reset the timeline at both head coach and quarterback. But, you know, they ended up not going with that. You mentioned they got rid of Getsy, so it's a different offensive coordinator. But sometimes the timelines just really get in the way of continuity and, and and in these quarterbacks not being able to have, you know, similar guys to work with year in and year out. I mean, look at what Baker Mayfield's been doing in Tampa. Now you look at Baker's career and it was just head coach and offensive coordinator after one another. And, and yeah, the guy popped around to different teams, but he had no consistency to, through the first couple of years of his career, not to make him totally blameless, but just to your question, I think that rookie quarterbacks, they need good situations to, be nurtured, if you will. There's not a lot of guys that could just hit the ground running and overcome a lot of bad situations. These guys are young. They're trying to get their confidence as well. And when you put them in rocky situations, unfortunately, that can ruin careers before it even begins. And so I don't think that Justin Fields' career is ruined. But to your point, you know, it, it was not a good starting point for him. And that's why I believe he can be a starter at the NFL level because of the progression that we have seen up to this year. But again, if you're risking him continuing to progress or if you're risking a new draft pick coming in and playing well you'd rather lean towards the side that gets you that full rookie contract to reset yeah. that window again yeah and i think that's where a lot of I, bears fans are pretty split on it but the people that lean towards caleb are very much like okay well we have contract talks and we're not at to the point where we're comfortable giving justin a contract so that's a big part of it one more before we go to Caleb, because you mentioned that the Bears could get a lot more for Justin, you believe, this year than if they would have traded him last year. What do you think they could right now if they were to trade Justin Fields? Like, what is the ballpark of what you think the Bears would get? You know, I think that there's been some rumors of him, you know, garnering first-round pick kind of talk. I'm not quite there. I think that what we're talking about for Justin Fields is probably a second-round pick and something else, whether it's okay. – you know, a second round pick and a third is kind of where I'm at right now. I bet you could get a second and a third. Maybe if it's uh, split, you know, if you're talking about a second round pick this year, maybe a second round pick next year, or maybe even in 2026, maybe you could get yourself two second round picks for him. I don't think anybody is going to give him a first round pick type of a value in a trade, but 
again, to the Bears' advantage, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that are hitting the market. So mm-hmm. are these NFL teams that, that – and there's a ton of NFL teams that have quarterback needs going into this offseason. Yeah. Are all of them going to be comfortable just going into the draft hoping that they pick a quarterback? Because if not, I mean – Kirk Cousins is on the market, sure, but he's a little bit older. We've seen uh-huh. his fully contract guarantee um, you know, trend. Is somebody going to be comfortable with that? I yeah. don't think Baker Mayfield is going to get out of Tampa. I think that he is going to stay there. Not really a ton of other bona fide starting quarterback options out there. So that, I think, also could go into the negotiations and the price for him. So that's where I land. Probably yeah. some sort of day two package where it's a second-round pick and something else. Maybe that's a third. Maybe that's a second. That would be my best guess right now. Yeah, I think a lot of us are thinking similar. So let's move on to Caleb. Uh, Caleb Williams obviously has the big talk. I think consensus right now, or at least majority, have Caleb Williams going one. Um, and that's whether the Bears draft him or whether the Bears trade up, uh, trade back and someone else drafts him. So tell me a little bit about what you've seen when you're analyzing Caleb Williams. What are some of his biggest strengths you believe will transfer best into the NFL? Yeah, scouting is all about telling you what a player can do, right? That you certainly, when you look at detractors of what they can't, that goes into the overall scouting report. But when you first talk about a player, when you're first sitting down to watch him, you want to figure out what can they do? What are their strengths? And do those strengths play well into the next level? How valuable are they? And when it comes to what Caleb Williams' strengths are, it's the most valuable things in the game. It really is. It plays outside of structure. It's a big arm. It's pinpoint accuracy, uh, ability to scramble and make plays with your legs. I mean, just the sky is the limit with this guy. And we've seen it over the last three years, even his true freshman season when he was at Oklahoma. So he's garnered elite PFF grades in all three seasons that he has played college football. And yeah, the negatives are, the structure that Lincoln Riley's offense presents for him is pretty unorthodox. I mean, there's a ton of screens and RPOs and just things that are, I'll say gimmicky at the college level that are not going to translate to the NFL level, but that doesn't mean he, he only operates in that kind of a system because we've seen him go through progressions. We've seen him hit deep throws down the sideline. We have seen him attack over the middle of the field on pro passing concepts. Like all of that stuff is there. It's just maybe not as much for other teams because that's not really the offense that USC is running. And then, of course, I think the big detractor for him is hanging on to the ball a little bit too long. You know, Uh When you look at his time to throw over the last two years, it's 3.44 and 3.21. Those are really high numbers. Basically, the only starting quarterbacks in the NFL who have averaged a time to throw above three over the last three seasons are – Ironically, just Justin Fields. And then the other one is Lamar Jackson. And Lamar is obviously different in, in yeah. how he's able to operate. He's much more efficient when he is able to hold on to the ball. But Caleb's got to get quicker in his processes. The mm-hmm. big question is, is he not quicker because of USC's offense? Does yeah. he think he has to play hero ball? Does he think mm-hmm. he has to make up for how bad their defense was this past year and always look for the deeper play? Or is it something more deep rooted? I don't think it is. I think it is more the style that he has been asked to play while with Lincoln Riley, both at Oklahoma and USC. And instead I have a lot more weight towards the, what he can do stuff and the arm talent, what he is with his legs. And again, just this playmaking style of what he does outside of structure. You can't teach. You could teach a guy how to operate better within structure. You can't. 
but those instincts of what to do when things break down, that's special stuff. Yeah. And that, so my one, because I've been very pro keep Justin and I I'm listening, I'm doing these podcasts because I want to learn more about Caleb and Drake and all of these other guys. Um, I've watched little bits of them, but I haven't gone fully in depth. My one kind of argument this whole time has been, I felt like Caleb's biggest issue has been Justin Fields biggest issue. And it sounds like that's what it is. The holding on to the ball. And again, I, I still haven't been able to figure out with Justin, what it is like, is he incapable of getting the ball out quicker or has it been, he is that guy who wants, he doesn't want to take four five, six yards. He wants to take 15, 16 yards. He wants to get the big plays. Um, and so sometimes reading, he goes through those progress progressions way slower, ends up leading to fumbles a lot because he is trying to do some kind of crazy wacky things. And I've seen a little bit of that from Caleb. So, uh, which is the one thing that a little bit concerns me, but obviously they're kind of revamping this offense now too. They added DJ Moore last year. I'm expecting them to add another wide receiver, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. Now they just added, um, they hired Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron obviously kind of revived Geno Smith's career. He also worked with Goff and Stafford and helping them kind of develop a little bit in their careers. How do you see that a fit at all? Do you see that meshing with Caleb? Yeah, so obviously, like you mentioned, there's there's going to be some changes within the offensive personnel groups. You've got DJ Moore, and he's going to be a major part of what you're doing moving forward. I think Cole Komet's a nice piece for them, obviously, at tight end as well. But you're really looking for you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three, shoot. If you end up drafting a really good wide receiver at nine, you know, maybe it's like a one, a one B with, with him and, and DJ Moore. So I think the personnel is kind of, kind of depend what the offense ultimately looks like, mm-hmm. but I love Shane Waldron's creativity. Very, very clearly he has been able to instill a lot of confidence in Geno Smith to, like you said, revive his career. And so Waldron, I think, is a good case no matter what, whether you're keeping Justin Fields or whether you're going with the young quarterback because he is somebody who it feels like has a proven track record working with these quarterbacks. And obviously, most recently with Geno, you know, what you do with Tyler Lockett, what you do with DK Metcalf, how you've utilized Jackson Smith and Jigba in his rookie year as well, some of the tight end usage there, like just an overall understanding of the offensive personnel groups, it feels like has been um, very efficient during his time in Seattle. And so regardless of who the quarterback is, I think that the Waldron hire is a good one. And uh, thinking, going back to Caleb Williams a little bit, because when you're looking, when you're talking about Caleb Williams, you just mentioned a million good things. And uh, it's constantly what I've heard. And I even, in the beginning of this podcast and the interview, we talked a lot about his personality, which some people heard some weird things that Caleb wasn't, the team wasn't totally around Caleb. We heard that wasn't totally true. So whatever, that's, you'll get that in interview stuff. But when you're looking at the two seasons, his Heisman season to this last season, people are critical because of that win-loss number and people maybe the touchdowns went down and people are critical in that aspect which I get it you're going to overanalyze and analyze everything when especially with all the numbers we have access to and all 22 we have access to Um, but when you were looking was there was there a regress at all or was it more just kind of like surrounding factors led to them not having as many wins and maybe numbers not being quite what they were the season before yeah really I think I think his struggles this year were overblown because you had those three games in the middle of the season. I mean, the Notre Dame game was the first one, and then it was kind of a roller coaster right around there, those two Uh games that followed. And those three games were the ones that got a lot of notoriety. They they were on national news. It was, look how Caleb Williams is struggling, all that. But honestly, before that, 
he was pretty dang good. Yeah. And then after that, he was pretty dang good. It really was just that three game stretch that he really struggled that people remember. And look, you know, USC's win loss record, that was one of the worst defenses in the country. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, without question, they were giving up some of the most points per game, the most yards per game. And that almost becomes a question of Caleb Williams' time to throw. Like, not only it, it, is the hero ball thing less of a Caleb Williams personality and more of a, if I don't score a touchdown on every single drive, we're not my, my defense, right. My defense is not going to be able to hold this team under, you know, 40 points, 50 points sometimes. So yeah. you wonder if, if that's what is going through his head as well. So yeah, I don't really focus too much on the win loss part of it. And, you know, when you look at last year, he was still attempting some of these crazy throws, but even with the turnover worthy play metric that we have over at PFF, he still wasn't paying for these. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't totally becoming a turnover worthy play. You know, they weren't becoming interceptions or fumbles or things like that the year before where he was kind of just starting to pay for those a little bit more this year. The turnover worthy plays were definitely up, but again, yeah. midway through the season, you looked at his big time throw to turnover worthy play rate and you go, Whoa, they're almost even And at one point, I think right in the middle of that, skid of his in the middle of the season he had more turnover worthy plays than he had big time throws and you're like man wow. is this the the real Caleb Williams mm -hmm. and then at the end of the season he recalibrated much more towards what we're used to kept those turnover worthy plays down the big time throws went back up and yeah. it was a much better ratio at the end of the year so really it was just that middle of the year and honestly I think a lot of people knock him for that middle of the year yeah where on the flip side you could almost use it as praise for him because he really struggled in that middle portion of the season and then he did bounce back. He yeah. was able to bounce back from it. So that's kind of when I evaluated him this year, that's kind of what I saw. And I was about to say that you could definitely see it as a positive. There was some rough, a few rough games. He was able to kind of figure out where the issues were and fix those towards the end of the season. And unfortunately for him, with a lot of Bears fans, especially being obviously in Illinois, Notre Dame being in South Bend, there's a lot of Notre Dame fans in that area. So that was a game that they all watched very closely, right. um, which is probably a part of it. But let's talk a little bit about some of the other quarterbacks. In your mock draft, you have three going, one, two, three quarterbacks at the top obviously um, going Williams, May, and then Jaden Daniels. So tell us a little bit about that. What's the gap, in your opinion, between maybe Caleb Williams and then Drake May and some of the things that May and Jaden are really good at too? Yeah, I, I'm, 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 pretty, I'm pretty confident right now. And I haven't, you know, I haven't done final quarterback evals. There's a lot of things, obviously, that you kind of take into account throughout the, the scouting season. But from what I watched of these guys on tape this past year, I'm pretty confident in Caleb at one, Drake at two, and then Jaden at three. Uh, and that's not to say these guys are, you know, the gap is really big between them. I'm just pretty comfortable with where I have them as one and two and three. When it comes to bringing Drake May and, and Jaden Daniels into the conversation, Drake May has just been so good for two straight years now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and these are his true sophomore year and his true junior year. So he's still a young quarterback. And in both of those seasons, his two seasons as a full-time starter for UNC, uh, he's had some of the big, most big-time throws in the country over the last two years. Turnover-worthy plays were a little bit less this year, so he was getting better at that. The adjusted completion percentage, okay, it could be a little bit better. The ball placement could be a little bit better for him. But when it comes to having the ability and the playmaker mentality to make the plays that you need to make, very difficult plays that you need to make at the quarterback position, May has never shied away from those in either of these last two years. And, uh -huh. you know, when we talk about PFF data and PFF grades, 
you know, the, the most uh, crucial element of those is large sample sizes, right? You want to be able to say, look how good he has been in this category for multiple years now. Like th yeah. that, that, that tells you that this is who this player is. This is a trend. And for two straight years now, yeah. Drake may has been a gunslinger and yeah. one of the best, if not the best in college football at it. So his talent where maybe not as consistent or efficient, I should say, as, as it could be, it's still all there and he's presented it to you. That's why I think he's kind of QB two in this class, but then Jaden Daniels, he's a little bit of a, a, a pushback on that large sample size because uh -huh. though he has really improved throughout his college football journey, this final year, I mean, he went nuclear. He was yeah. incredible. Elite PFF passing grade, elite PFF rushing grade. I mean, he was a threat at all times, no matter what. It was incredible to watch what he was doing in that LSU offense. And obviously he wins the Heisman trophy for yeah. it. The question becomes and a defense that did not help him at all. Right. Also they <laughs> did not help him at all. There's no doubt about it. If they if they did, they probably could have been in the college football playoff game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, when you look at what he has been able to do in this past year, you go, Man, what do we do with this year? Because yeah. well, I'm already reading some mock drafts of you know, some people who are very plugged into the industry who have Jaden Daniels very, very high. And that makes me feel as though the NFL is very high on him. Yeah. enough to where he's going to be a top 10, maybe top five, maybe yeah. even top three overall pick. So that seems to be where the NFL is trending with him. And I think that they're buying into maybe a lot of what we saw from CJ Stroud as well, where Stroud yeah. ends his college football career with the biggest win and one of the best performances that he had throughout his college football journey. And it uh -huh. was that way that was that albeit in a loss against Georgia in that college football playoff game, but Stroud played brilliantly and we yeah. wondered, okay, is this the new CJ Stroud? Is this who he's going to be in the NFL? Or is it kind of a one-game sample size? Well, he's proving that that was a springboard to what he was going to be in the NFL. Yeah. If people are looking at Jaden Daniels' season this year and thinking the same thing, well, then, yeah, you got to consider him in the top five because what he did was nearly unstoppable this year in the SEC. Yeah. We had that limited sample size with Mitchell Trubisky, and it didn't work out well for us. So That's um. true. That is true. <laughs> That's but, why they see that's why larger <laughs> sample sizes make you feel a lot better about a risky game that is the NFL draft. Oh, Trevor, let me ask you because you mentioned this term a couple times with Caleb and with Drake May, and it was the big time throws. And so I know we see that floating around with PFF a lot. Explain to people what exactly you guys are calculating and seeing when you're putting in big time throws. Yeah, big time throws is just a throw that that has higher difficulty. So a lot of times it's easy to say the further down the field, you know, if you make a great throw, that counts as a big time throw. So it doesn't always have to be distance. Like it's not a, okay, these are throws that are at least 30 yards down the field or something like that. Generally anything over 20, 25 yards down the field, you start getting into that category where, all right, you're pushing the ball deep down the field. You're probably having to either zip it in there between a safety and a corner, a linebacker and a safety, or you're having to put some really nice touch on it. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to have to be completely in rhythm. The ball placement's got to be beautiful. And so it, it really is just a way to, you know, give kudos to a quarterback who makes a very difficult throw that might yeah. not be a touchdown, right? Everybody likes to talk okay. about touchdowns and interceptions because yeah. they're the big categorical stats, but there are some huge throws both good and bad that mm -hmm. happen in between those interceptions and, and, uh, and touchdowns. And so big time throw, it is a little bit subjective, but essentially mm -hmm. it is a throw that is of higher difficulty that you just don't see many times during the game. But often if you hit them, 
they can be the difference in what is a winner loss. Is there a separation that you guys have with that? Or do you include it when like a receiver makes the, when a receiver kind of makes the catch when you're like, sometimes we're like, damn, that was a good throw, but also that was a good catch. Is that included in a big time throw and also given to the receiver too? Yeah. So we don't have, we don't have like big time catches as a stat, but yeah. certainly if, you know, if, if it is one of those big time throws now to kind of to your point, if the quarterback maybe doesn't have great ball placement, even uh-huh. if it's a deeper throw, if uh-huh. the ball placement isn't good and the receiver is actually the one who has to do more work, then more often than not, we're going to lean on the side of like, okay, the receiver did a lot of work on that play, even though it was far down the field, the quarterback didn't exactly put it in a place where he made it easy for his receiver or did a lot of that work. But on the flip side, if a quarterback throws an absolute dime of a pass to a receiver and they drop it, uh-huh. you know, what that, that, that all of a sudden doesn't count for any statistics. Not yeah. because I'm not a touchdown. It's not yards. It's not a catch. It's nothing. And it's not a completion. It's not anything. But in our system, mm-hmm. we would still recognize like that. that would that would count as a big time throw for us because we still want to be able to truly grade and categorize yeah. every play for everybody. So did that Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs throw? Was that a big time throw? That would that would be considered a big time throw. Yes. And one that uh, I wish was completed because that was one of the best throws of the year. That was beautiful. Um, a couple more, Trevor, before I let you go. So we talked about how I believe that the Bears will get another weapon, whether that's in the free agency or draft. I do think they will address it in the draft. And you have them actually taking Roma Dunze at nine in your love it, love Adunze. Um, So tell us a little bit about what you've seen from him. What do you think his biggest strengths are? Um, I have a side question from this too, but I'll let you start with that one. So you, before every season, we go through an exercise at PFF and on my draft podcast that I do called Summer Scouting. It's And it's you know exactly what you think it is. We take a look at some of the draft eligible players for the upcoming class. We look at what they did the year before. Um, you know, we look at what they could be this upcoming year, what we'd love to see from them. Romo Dunze was getting a lot of hype in that time of the year and in the preseason as a potential first round wide receiver, somebody who could be a wide receiver one at the next level. And with good reason, yeah. six foot three, 215 pounds, really smooth moving athlete. Normally when you get bigger guys like that, they're, you know, on the line of scrimmage X yeah. physical contested catch type of receivers. And you know, where Romo Dunze can be, he's also a very smooth route runner. He's got much more of a diverse route tree than a lot of guys his size. He just moves better to be able to do that. But in 2022, where I saw him be a plus route runner for his size, he left me wanting more at the catch point he, when it came to those contested catches. Because I, I like that you are a better mover at six foot three, 215 pounds. Yeah. But if you are that big, I still, want, <laughs> I still want to see you go up and get it. You know, I, I want to see that contested catchability to give yeah. me faith that you can really dominate as a sideline receiver, which he is. This past year in 2023, he absolutely did that. The contested catch percentage went way up. He was one of the best contested catch receivers in the country, very reliable in that area. So now you get to marry those two things together and really complete that scouting report as a player who not only is a first round pick, but to me, worthy of a top 10 overall selection. If, if it's Romo Dunze and DJ Moore, it's kind of like I said earlier in the show, it's 1A and 1B. I, I mean, you are building an offense around both of these guys, not in a progression at all. I think either of those players could get 8 to 12, to 12 targets uh, at basically every single game, depending on how you want to flip the coin. So I, I think that both of those guys um, would be fantastic together, uh, yeah, and, and they would complement this offense well. 
Same. Uh, so if the Bears didn't take, if they didn't trade Justin Fields, they don't take a quarterback, they keep Justin, roll with, let's say, Marvin Harrison Jr. What are your feelings towards that if they were to take Marvin Harrison Jr. at one? Is that worth it? I love Marvin Harrison Jr. He is incredible. And I, I want to preface this by saying the NFL draft is about drafting good football players. Mm -hmm. And I think Harrison Jr. is going to be number one on my film grade big board. Okay. I don't know if he's going to be number one on my overall big board because I take positional importance into account and there's some good okay. quarterbacks in this class. But in terms of just pure film grade, he's going to have the highest. He's going to be one of the highest film grades that I've had over the last five or six years. He's just that good. Yeah. All of that to say, the draft is also a game. Uh -huh. And it's your job as a general manager to also operate this in the best way possible. You first and foremost want to be able to pick the best players because that helps your team. But you also want to be able to make the best decisions for the future of the team. Uh -huh. So the reason why I would stay away from drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. at number one overall is because somebody's likely going to offer you at least three first round picks, probably more for that number one overall pick yeah. to have their pick of Jaden Daniels, Caleb Williams, and Drake May. So it's not, is Marvin Harrison Jr. worth a first round number one overall pick? It's, is Marvin Harrison Jr. worth three plus first round picks? Yeah. And, and that's that's the conversation that you then have to have. And I think that he'll be a phenomenal football player, but yeah. I think Malik Neighbors and Romo Dunze are incredible. So if you get into a situation where, Let's say the Giants at number six, mm -hmm. they're calling you up because they want to make a big splash at quarterback. Well, all you have to do is drop down from number one to number six. You're pretty much guaranteed to get one of Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors from LSU, Romo Dunze from Washington, just because the math is going to work out. You're going to get one of those guys at number six yeah. anyways. So you get to move back five spots, pick up two extra first-round picks plus some. Then you've got a pick at six and a pick at nine. It's just I love Marvin Harrison, but that's the scenario that yeah. you want. That's what that's the picture that you want to paint if you were the GM. And I think that's why a lot of the Bears fans that are pro keep Justin are very much like trade the pick because obviously what the haul they got for DJ with the Panthers last year, getting DJ Moore and multiple first, multiple seconds. And people are saying they'd probably get more this year uh, for Caleb Williams. So that'll be an interesting one. Trevor, final one for you before I let you go. This is more of a broad one um, because obviously as we get deeper into the draft and I know you still have a lot of work to do and we're several months away from the draft still. So things will change. We have interviews coming up in the combine and all of that. But right now, what would you say is a position group that is probably heaviest towards the top where you feel like people may need to get one pretty quick or you're not, uh, you may not find what you need later in the draft? So it, it doesn't get any more top heavy than tight end. I know Bears fans don't need a tight end, but it's basically Brock Bowers in the top 15 or maybe Jatavian Sanders from Texas in the top 50. And outside of that, you're looking at, a lot of third, fourth, fifth rounders, some good football players, but yeah. it's it, that is by far the most top heavy position in the draft. I will also mention interior defensive tackle, I think is also pretty top heavy. You got Leonard Taylor from Miami. You got Byron uh, Murphy from Texas. Um, you got Jerzon Newton from Illinois. I think those are three guys that could be top 50 overall picks. But then outside of that, you might be struggling for pass rushers. And then the other one is safety. If yeah. you're not drafting basically Cam Kinchins from Miami or Tyler Newbin from, uh, from Minnesota. It's I, there's a lot of good safeties that also went back to school. So not only was the, the safety class not too top heavy anyways, 
some good ones, some fringe guys who would have been, you know, maybe safety three, four, five in this class. Mm-hmm. A couple of them went back to school. So I think those positions, tight end, interior defensive line, and safety, if you don't pick them early, mm-hmm. you're probably just not getting an impact guy at one of those spots. Which that's an interesting one because the Bears, I think, are going to part ways with Eddie Jackson. So they do need a free safety. That's something they're going to have to address. Another one that I think is very important is interior offensive linemen. Um, Ryan Poles nailed it with Braxton Jones and Darnell Wright, it seems like. But that interior is very lacking. I like Tevin Jenkins. But center, right guard, whatever, is there anybody that really pops out? in one of those positions that you think would be worth snagging in the first few rounds? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot, I, I think interior defense, sorry, interior offensive line has some good depth to it. Okay. You know, you look at guards, I, I feel as though, you know, guys like Cooper Beebe or, or Zach Zinter, you know um, I think JV and Cohen, like these are depth to, sort of players. So you might be able to get in like the mid rounds. Um, okay. I like Christian Haynes from UConn as well. If you're looking for a center specific guy, Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, uh, Zach Frazier from West Virginia, Cedric Van Pran from Georgia. Like, I think there's a handful of interior offensive linemen that you can get into rounds three and four and still okay. be picking somebody up who you feel pretty good about. So I think that that is one of the more deeper groups and uh, it's one of the more versatile groups that I can remember as well. There's a lot of like center guard flexibility with yeah. a ton of these players that are in this class. Which I, that's what I like to hear. Last year, I was very pro either John Michael Schmitz or Tittman, Joe Tittman. And then neither happened for the Bears. And now we're looking at that as like a dire need because our center last year was terrible. So we'll see how that goes. But um, thank you so much, Trevor, for hopping on with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Taylor. Anytime. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Well, thanks to Trevor and Yogi. Um, Some really good stuff on Caleb Williams. And I really am trying to open my mind. Um, But obviously, I think when you do have you have that player attachment, you really grow to love these players. And I I also am just so (laughs) worn out from having the same cycle over and over again. And I've seen so many times that these quarterbacks that are drafted in the, the, the top spot top one two three spots don't pan out to be what they're supposed to be um just saw a thing that popped up today that was like hey uh remember when everybody was talking about sam darnold and baker mayfield and who should go first overall guess who was in that draft lamar jackson and josh allen and i feel like almost every single year we've talked about that go back to even last year and everyone was it was bryce young bryce young bryce 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 cj stroud went completely ham this year and um you go back to there's many of those drafts you go back to what the bears did with mitchell trubisky and people make fun of it but mitchell trubisky was the one that people were shouting for the bears to take like that was the number one in the majority of people's mock drafts and all of the talks and they did that and then patrick mahomes went later in that draft it's just it's so it's so hard to determine if these guys are really going to make it and that's what scares me and I feel like personally I've, I've seen enough I've, I believe that even more progress is going to be had but I am trying to open that up and I'm trying to really listen and everybody has just the absolute best things to say about Caleb Williams when it comes to uh, the way he plays football. And um, obviously the biggest concern is probably that his biggest issue is the same biggest issue that Justin Fields has, and that's holding the ball too long and trying to make those big ex- explosive wow plays over maybe taking the easier play sometimes um, or getting rid of the ball quick. And we saw how that hurt Justin Fields in certain aspects last year, and Caleb has those same exact issues, so that is a concern. But aside from that, everybody else says there's pretty much not any other knock on him. So... 
We will see. Um, I, I'm, I have posted on Twitter at this point that I am all I, be, I trust in Ryan Poles, and I think he will make the right decision for the organization because I think aside from Valus Jones and Chase Claypool, he's pretty much nailed it on every other thing. And I know people are going to criticize him about the Eberflus thing. I have my own conspiracy theory opinions on that, uh, which maybe is for a, another time on this podcast. But I do think that um, – He's made a lot of really good choices. He's turned this roster that was complete garbage with a ton of dead cap into one that has a lot of building blocks and a lot of pieces. And we're seeing guys like Darnell Wright get recognition and Tyreek Stevenson and um, obviously Jalen Johnson and Javon Dexter and TJ Edwards and all these guys are getting talked about because of what they've been able to do. And those are all Ryan Poles guys. So uh, obviously not Jalen, but hopefully with a contract, it's somebody who he has committed a contract to like he did Cole Komet. But um, anyways, a, a long offseason ahead of us and that with a new offensive coordinator, it's going to fi- like feel like things are starting to fall back into place. And once we get all these um, all, all of our coaches staff, coaching staff completely built out and then we can really look at the combine and what's important for the Bears and things like that. But obviously, I, I want to address all these quarterbacks because. Um, I may not, I don't know a whole lot about all of them. You may not know a whole lot about all of them. And who knows what this final quarterback order is going to look like uh, once we get to the draft and who moves up and down after the combine and interviews and all of that stuff. We see it, those type of things happen every year. So uh, we saw Justin Fields drop in his draft that year. The story came out that he was epileptic and he, he started falling. And before that, he was looking like he was going to be one of the top five guys play, uh, drafted, if not one of the top two. So those things happen. And um, this is just that time of year where we have to learn as much as we can about these players. Um, pretty much as fast as we can in the next couple months and take in all of the information we can and just trust the people that watched them the most and talked about them and called their games and has watched all of their films. So that's what I'm doing these next few weeks. The next one um, is going to be kind of a combo episode of a few of the quarterbacks because they are ones that uh, are not the top two, not Caleb and not Drake. So I, I don't think it'll happen, but I think it is good to know uh, what, how people feel about them and w- what their strengths and weaknesses are, where they may end up going, considering teams like the Vikings also are probably looking for a quarterback. And um, they also have other players. There's a, a lot of players on those teams, too, that the Bears could potentially draft at some point. So we'll take a look at uh, some of those things that, in the next couple weeks. But for now, breathe. Go watch some Caleb Williams film. Go watch some Drake May film. Go back and watch some of Justin's best games um, this last season and where he where things were going the way they were supposed to go and play calling was being called the way it was supposed to go. And um, just fully embrace all of that and realize that we're in a really good position um, because we have choices and good choices at quarterback, not back in the day when we were choosing between two trash quarterbacks of who, which one was not as trash. Um, but anyways, thanks again, everybody, as usual, for listening. I'm Taylor Dahl, and this is Making Monsters.